new foul. We'll take a shot downfield. Remember that for your highlight show tonight. Bruce back to the corner for Carrington. Intercepted! Colorado got it! Witherspoon! With the biggest play in Colorado football for years! This could be a pass. Bryce Bobo down the field for Colorado. Some trickery, Philip Lindsay. Lindsay touchdown, Buff! Oliver takes it. Has a big one already. He's got room here. Isaiah Oliver cuts it back. Under the beat. He does. He'll take it. Touchdown! New foul. Lost and one to the end zone. Cut. Touchdown, Shea Field. Side ball is bubbled, picked up by Kenneth Olabode, and he runs it in from the six. Touchdown! Touchdown, Colorado! The defense comes up big again. Welcome in to a new Buff Stampede Radio. This is a live version of our show. Tyler, how are you doing? Doing pretty good, man. What's going on tonight? Good Am night. I echoey on your end? Oh, yeah, big time. What about now, Tyler? Much better, there you go. I hope? Oh, yeah. Yep. Well, it's you always have you some kinks now. you're going to have to work out when you try to go live. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Tyler, just uh, give me your initial reactions to the news that Jim Levitt is headed to Oregon. I mean, it sucks. There's no doubt about that. Um, but I, I think the fan base is getting a little bit <laughs> out of hand right now, which I guess is to be expected. I mean, you know, we've had kind of the first taste of, success we've had in probably over a decade at this point and everything everybody wants everything to come back the way that it was but that's just not how the college football landscape works you don't go 10 and 3 and bring back your entire staff so we knew there were going to be some changes that had to be made probably um a little surprised by the fact that Levitt's leaving for not a head coaching job but a offensive coordinator or sorry a defensive coordinator job but when you hear the rumors of him making basically 50% more than any other coordinator in the Pac-12. It's really hard to argue against. Yeah, and you know Jim Levitt's plan was to stay in Boulder unless he got a Power 5 head coaching gig. But I don't think he could have anticipated Phil Knight op- opening up his pocketbook and, and giving him this type of offer. So I get it for the fans out there that are emotional and it's tough to see a guy that was beloved the way that Jim Levitt was and how much you're going to miss his tweets and um, his energy uh, within the program. But, you know, this doesn't seem like one of those situations where somebody's to blame. It, it is, it's kind of a, it is what it is type of situation. The the bottom line is although Rick George and, and you know, the leadership of Colorado have, have gotten Colorado Back to being a big boy program, I mean, you look at what assistant coaches are paid nationally, and this is just kind of almost unheard of. It's, you know, obviously a, a record-breaking contract for, for a Pac-12 coordinator. Yeah, definitely, uh, by a substantial margin as well. I mean, it places him as the sixth highest paid assistant in all of college football. Obviously, if you know anything about Colorado, we just can't, you know, we can't give out that type of money to assistants. We just don't have the type of funds yet. We haven't been successful long enough to make that realistic. Some people will say, oh, yeah, we should have been able to donate, pony up the money. 
that only works one time, and what are you supposed to do the next time that comes around? There's there's a long-term goal here as well. You can't just do this every time a coordinator comes through. So, I mean, it's a tough situation. Obviously, we really needed Jim Levitt. He's huge for our defense, one of the most unbelievable defensive turnarounds I've ever seen watching college football my whole life. But at the end of the day, $1.2 million is $1.2 million. You have to be realistic with that result. I was a little echoey at the beginning of, of this uh, live show as we were working out the kinks, in, in case you didn't hear it. Of course, I'm Adam Munster, Tiger Publisher of BuffStampede.com, and you've been hearing the voice of fan correspondent Tyler Ziskin. We're going to really kind of dive into uh, this from all angles as we get through this live show, and we encourage all of you to call in. The number to do that is 646-564-9506. Encourage everybody to call in. We want to hear your thoughts, kind of your reaction to this big news. Uh, and we'll, we'll talk about you know, Joe, Joe Tumpkin and whether he might be the uh, best candidate to replace uh, Jim Levitt. So we're going to get into all of that, but first, I want to welcome in a special guest on short notice. Appreciate him doing this. Jonathan Van Deest, of course, one of the Colorado Buffalo's first verbal commitments from the class of 2017. Jonathan Van Deest, can, can you hear me? Uh, yeah, can you hear me? Yes, Jonathan, thanks for calling in. Well, we, awesome, we want to yep. get your thoughts on a lot of things and not just Jim Levitt. Uh, but first off, kind of lead off here. Talk about kind of your, your reaction to the big news today. Um. My reaction, I think this goes for the rest of the recruits, is we were all initially surprised. Um, just kind of, kind of came out of nowhere, and I think we can all agree with that. But second to that, we um, just a little disappointed, um, a little upset, you know, because we're all excited. I know the defensive player to, um, you know, be a part of that program that, you, like you guys said, um, had a huge, big turnaround, and we wanted to be part of that. So a little disappointment and upset um, feelings there. But, you know, we're, um, we're still looking for 4C. We're still 100% with the program. Um, I, for one, am ready to go into work like nothing happened, um, and that's part of the business. We all we all understand that this happens, and, you know, for a guy to turn down that much money, that'd be kind of, you know, a little silly. We'd probably be talking about it more if he, uh, he did that. Um, yeah. But you know what? You know, that's what he had to do, so, you know, we're all cool with it. Obviously, some uncertainty for you uh, be coming in as a linebacker prospect and not knowing at this point in time who's necessarily going to push that position. But, but you, you kind of alluded to that, obviously, your decision to commit to Colorado being a lot bigger than any one coach. Yeah, I mean, the advice you get as a recruit when you're choosing colleges, you know, is don't choose the school based off the coaches. And, you know, once you do that, these things happen. And if that is the case, you know, you know you're set on your, your commitment, you know, and you're not kind of wishy-washy. Have you heard anything from CU staff today? Obviously, this is just all kind of breaking down, uh, breaking yeah, news yeah. Uh, here recently. Um, I've heard some some things. You know, first was just like kind of confirmation um, of the rumors from what I first heard. Um, that, um, but also just like you know, things will be fine. Our defense will be fine, um, and just like knowing that I'm going to be, you know, pretty set. And this is those things I reassure you because there's a little doubt in these kind of things, but. We've all been assured we're all fine. Um, we'll be we'll be good. Tyler, did you have anything you wanted to ask uh, Jonathan? Yeah, I just kind of wanted to get your thoughts on what the next steps are for you in terms of getting all the commitments back on page. Obviously, it seems like pretty much everyone understands the situation and knows this is kind of the business. But uh, do you plan yeah. to kind of go through the group text and make sure everyone's still on board? Well, we first I first found out was because of the group chat text. So everyone was on board of like kind of what was happening from the get go because we're we're pretty good at communicating through that um, 
kind of medium. Um, but you know, it was the first kind of initial, like, wow, um, this kind of sucks. This is a bummer. But immediately like the following was, you know, we'll be good without it. You know, coach level is a huge, huge um, part of the program and it's rise, you know, but that's just a part of the you know machine. And there's so many different other working parts in it that, you know, contribute to that. And so we understand that. Um, and it's just, you know, we're going to be part of that soon. So kind of just building this um, confidence, you know, um, his departure doesn't dictate kind of how we play and what's going to dictate our future. Um, and we rewrite, we, we write our own story. Um, that was pretty much the, the conversation in the group text today. Jonathan, you were just up in CU for your official visit this past week. And obviously you've spent a ton of time around the program. I don't know how much you can possibly learn at this stage, but kind of recap your official visit up there and, and kind of what, what stood out to you about, about that, that, you know, that weekend. Uh, what stood out to me about that weekend was the sense of focus, um, from the staff and the team, um, going, you know, that week was obviously they're preparing for a bowl game and there's finals. So you kind of saw different, you know, campus life, but from what you got was that was, was that, um, everyone seemed focused towards one goal from, you know, all the players and staff members. And that's pretty cool to watch because you, you kind of move up a level and it kind of becomes more selfish football. Um, and that's what I've been told and I've kind of witnessed in some places and, you know, coming from high school, it's, you know, it's team football and it's kind of the purest sense um, of football there is. Uh, it was cool to see that on, you know, at C's campus and just in the practices and, you know, how they um, interact with each other is that there's a, a common goal and a camaraderie, camaraderie there. And that's pretty cool. On a special Buff Stampede Radio Live right now, we are joined by CU Buffs commit Jonathan Van Deest. Jonathan, did, did you have a player host uh, for, for your official visit? Yeah, I had uh, Leo Jackson, the DN. What were some of the things you maybe found out about the program through him? I would imagine you kind of maybe try to pick his brain a little bit. Uh, some things here and there are kind of like, um, well, now the, the fact that I live here, it's kind of easy for me to go up and drive and, you know, see for myself, you know. Um, but what also I asked was just kind of like the daily life at school, kind of how the most players, you know, spend their time and just like the small things. So it doesn't really answer your question that well, but, um, yeah. <laughs> Have you, uh, declared your major? Do you know what you're uh, going to study when you get up there? Uh, I was going to do, or I, I am actually, I'm going to do business up there. Um, on my visit, I actually kind of got some more insight of kind of what specific major in business I want to do. Um, considering that I'm not a fan of math, I'll probably avoid the accounting and finances <laughs> and use more of, uh, some of the people skills I have to, you know, work my way around this world. Awesome. So you kind of took a leap of faith being one of the first two commits for the Buffs, you and yeah. Dante Sbrocco, of course. Yeah. What was it like? Uh, was there any nervousness for you going into the season? And what was it like to to both be there in the stands at games or even watching them on TV, you know, in their road games and just kind of see what the, what you'd put faith in this program to do actually, you know, come to fruition out there? Well, first thing, the fact that, you know, we commit so early and kind of get to see, you know, Denmark be on the rise and, you know, you were, you're, you, uh, trying to find the words. Just the fact that we took that leap of faith is, you know, it's really cool to think about, hey, like I had so much trust in this program and, you know, it turned out the way I wanted it to. It's pretty sweet. Um, but yeah, there's a lot of nervousness, you know, in the fact that are we going to get the recruits that we want? You know, there was a lot of, um, I wouldn't call it desperation, but there's a lot of, um, you know, communication and me and Dante trying to pick up these guys. It was almost like 
we got to get this guy or it's the end of the world kind of deal, you know. And I think that helped attribute to building such a class was that we were just hungry for, you know, building some players into our 2017 class. Um, but just, yeah, watching the early games this year, there's for sure um, a nervous feeling around them, you know, because they played their first two games pretty well. And then going into Michigan, they're playing well. And you're like, oh, man, like, well, this last whole season. And, you know, it's pretty cool the fact that it has. Was there a game or, a, you know, a play or a moment just watching them that you kind of realized, okay, this team is legit? Well, when you see a team, you know, have a turnover every single game where it leads up to 24 consecutive turnovers for a team, I think that's the number. I might be wrong. Um, that's pretty cool. <laughs> I can't think of any specific ones. Obviously, I just did, actually. I'll take that back. <laughs> um, going back to the <laughs> That Oregon game, just with Bryce Bobo's catch, the defensive stop in the end zone, Montez um, playing pretty well. I think that those are games like that where you're like, you know, they get beat down, they lose Cepho in the Michigan game, and they still have guys that are willing to fight, compete at a high level and win games. Obviously, Jim Levitt was part of the, the group recruiting you throughout this whole process. Who mm-hmm. are the other guys on the staff that, that you've kind of developed a, a strong bond with? Uh, I think like – for most guys, Coach Chev has been a huge part of the recruiting um, for this class, and I feel like everyone has already mentioned that or noticed that um, who hasn't. Uh, and then you got your little assistant, uh, the, the GAs that will text you, kind of build a little relationship with them. Um, but it's pretty cool. You know, it's very personal. It's not like, hey, uh, we're just reaching the throne off. It's like, we want you here now, and we believe that you'll make a difference in our program. And then they build on the personal, you know, friendships all that stuff. So you feel like you're really wanted and you're going to be part of a family right when you step on campus. Obviously, Jim Levitt was talking to you about bringing you in to play inside linebacker. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you, it seems like you've always been kind of open to, to whatever position, right? Is that not really a, a major concern for you? No. Uh, my senior year, I played uh, front, the whole front seven and some, how would you call it, a hybrid like safety. So, you know, I'm kind of used to being pushed around and not being really totally comfortable, which is, I, is, it helps with my versatility going into the next level. But I'm fine with whatever. I mean, as a kid, you dream about playing college football and the fact that it's here. I'm not going to nitpick and complain like, I want to play this and I'm not going to change on that or compromise, you know? You had, uh, unfortunately, a, a sh- ending to your season in the playoffs with an arm injury uh, there for, for Cherry Creek. Uh, it looks like you have kind of a bionic arm now. Is, is that how it feels? Uh, it actually feels quite normal right now, surprisingly, okay. but you look at it and it's like someone definitely cut me up. <laughs> it's like a foot long <laughs> scar on my arm. Uh, so what is the, yeah. the rehab process now going forward? Uh, after surgery, I was two weeks in the cast and they took that off and said, all right, um, you can move your arm, twist it, rotate it. Just don't pick anything up for a while. And which is pretty surprising. You get out of surgery, usually in the cast for a solid, what, three weeks at the least, and I was already out. So things have been speeding up quicker, you know. My hand strength is uh, slowly coming back. Um, but after this Christmas break, I'll find out by x-rays, you know, what can I start doing. Um, and we'll go along that path once we get there. But I should be done around April, May, um, fully full go, ready to play. Hey, Jonathan, I really appreciate you taking time out to call in on short notice. Uh, a great of course. stuff. Th- thanks for doing it. Always. Appreciate it, man. Take care. Yep, right. Thanks, Jonathan. Good to talk to you, man. You too, guys. See ya. All right, that's Jonathan Van Deest, of course, one of the Buffalo's 
early commitments this cycle, a, a fan favorite already. He's not even on campus yet, but I think he really endeared himself to Colorado fans just kind of the way uh, in that group chat that he's taken pride in, in trying to recruit guys to Boulder. And you heard it there. Uh, I, I think the recruiting impact isn't going to be as big as possibly some of the on-field on stuff, obviously, Tyler. Uh, Jim Levitt yeah. was the primary recruiter for Carson Wells, but uh, you know, as much as he, he definitely helped in recruiting, uh, and you see this a lot of times with coordinators, he's not going to be the primary guy for most of these guys on the commitment list. Yeah, definitely. I think people are kind of over overplaying how big of an impact we're going to see there on the defensive end, um, how many of these commits. There. Everyone's complaining, oh, we're going to get a bunch of these kids flipping up to Oregon, and he wasn't the main guy for most of those defensive players, so I would be surprised to see that happen. Um, the in-state guys obviously had a little bit more of a relationship with Jim Levitt, so um, we're interested to see how that plays out, I guess, long-term, but I'd be very surprised if they don't stick with the program overall. And you obviously you could hear a little bit of nervousness from John. I mean, it's it's new, you know, just like all the rest of us, so it takes some getting used to, and obviously he wanted to play under Jim Levitt, but uh, in the end, I think all these kids are going to end up staying as Buffaloes. They understand that coaching changes happen in, at the college level. They do they do so often. They do so in a surprising fashion many many times. And, uh, you know, it's kind of, I guess, a good taste to get used to what your college life can be like. Yeah, it's very rare that you're going to verbally commit to a school and go through that with the same head coach, the same position coach. Uh, it just It's the unfortunate side of college football. Uh, uh-huh. You know, you look at it, and I, I think we're going to hear news of Mike McIntyre getting, uh, you know, a contract extension here pretty soon. Um, and that's the, the positive end from the coaching standpoint, obviously, for the Buffaloes right now. Uh, what, what are your expectations there? Do, do you have any thoughts? I mean, we're, we're obviously speculating in terms of the type of race he's going to get, but do you have any, 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 any expectations there at, at all? No, I, I'm not sure exactly how it's going to play out for him. I, I think it's going to make him pretty comfortable, though. I think it'll be a significant enough raise that someone from a big-time program would have to come in in order for him to go elsewhere. Um, I think we already knew that going in. There wasn't. I don't think there's a whole lot of names out there that would really catch his eye in comparison to the current drop. Obviously, there are some teams down in the SEC that you would be worried about if they came calling. Uh, maybe a couple in the Pac-12, but even those seem a little bit sketchy at this point. But uh, I think they'll make him feel pretty comfortable, make, make him feel like he's uh, – a big part of what we're doing here and uh, just, you know, hopefully he, he gets that same feeling uh, amongst his assistant coaches as well. I know obviously we couldn't pony up Jim for Jim Levitt, but I think that's a, obviously an outlier type circumstance. We did throw this show together last minute. uh, So uh, probably not a lot of people that were kind of anticipating the show, but if you are listening in, we do want to hear from you. Call in 646-564-564. 9506 just to kind of share your reaction if you're a CU fan out there to this news of Jim Levitt or even share your thoughts on who you think should be uh, his replacement uh, I talked earlier that we're going to talk a little bit about Joe Tumpkin um, I think he's been kind of a, an unsung hero a little bit uh, okay, since yeah. he since he he got to Colorado you just don't hear people talking about him yeah definitely I actually I think we talked about this specifically on the last podcast that we did um, mm-hmm. and I've been talking about it on Twitter as well how undervalued I feel like Joe Tumpkin and Charles Clark as well are for this program and you talk about the strength of our defense is definitely in the secondary and those two guys are the hands-on coaches for that group all year long um, and I talked about this earlier in the year as well I, I ju- um, Jim Levitt gets a ton of credit for how this defense has progressed but I still feel like the fact that we had eight seniors who have played a lot of football doesn't get talked about enough 
um, in, in terms of why this team was so successful this year. So I do obviously feel like the defense is going to take a step back next year, but it's nothing to do with Jim Levitt leaving as much as it has to do with the fact that we're missing eight guys who have a ton of experience and we're able to grow into men in the program. It's sometimes hard to quantify exactly what everything did in terms of leading to the success. Obviously, Jim Levitt, we know, is a really good defensive coordinator. Uh, he did inherit a group that got older and, and wiser and more mature and experienced throughout his time. How much did that play into it? And how much of it was Joe Tumpkin behind the scenes really helping out things? I do know for a fact that at halftime, Joe Tumpkin was part of their halftime adjustments. He would speak to the entire defense. He had a, a hand in that stuff. It's hard without being in the room to know exactly you know, what, what percentage praise you, you kind of divvy out, but you got to feel good uh, about the continuity if Joe Tumpkin was to get promoted, but you also don't know what else might be out there uh, for that, that potential to potentially take that coaching vacancy. We got a, a phone call from area code 914. I'm going to welcome you into the show now. Hey, what's up, Adam? It's Andrew. I'm right between shows, so I figure I'd, uh, I'd call in if you were requesting that. Andrew, we, on, we're, we're glad to have you on the show, man. Uh, kind of give us your reaction. I know you were kind of uh, tweeting about some of, the, some of the reaction you had from the Levitt News today. Yeah, you know, it was it was definitely a, a shock when Stuart Mandel threw that tweet down. I think all of Buff Nation was kind of in a state of collective shock when it happened. But, you know, the, the interesting thing is, A, aside from, you know, the money absolutely talking, I mean, I think you tweeted it out. He's making 440000 annually more than any other Pac-12 assistant right there. And, you know, anybody's not going to say no to that type of money. But, you know, the strategics, you can argue that from the strategic side, it's also a smart move for him. You know, he's going to lose a lot of starters on this defense this year. So if he does have a dip in the performance of the defense next year, maybe the iron might not be as hot on the hiring side of things. And he goes to Oregon, who for a long time now is at a very porous defense. And if you turn it around at Oregon, the way you turned it around in Colorado, I don't think there's any going to be any shortage of power five programs that are going to be knocking on his door two years from now. So it's, it's a shame. And I can see why Buff Nation would be a little snake bit by having, you know, the first 10 win season in a long time and everything seems like it's so good. And then boom, all of a sudden your defensive coordinator bolts, but it, kind of just seems the the nature of the beast at this point. You made a great point there in terms of striking while the iron is hot. I mean, I think we can all pretty much look at what Colorado's losing on defense, and we know next year's defense is not going to rank top 20 in scoring defense like they did this year. And, yeah, if you're Jim Levitt, I think if you stick around this year, you're probably sticking around Boulder for a while. Uh, so it, it was probably a, a tough decision until th that – he saw that figure on, you know, that proposed check, and how do you turn that down? Yeah, and especially yeah, I mean, I'm, for Oregon. I'm oh, sorry, is this you jump in? <laughs> go ahead, go ahead, go ahead, Andrew. My bad. You know, no, it's 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 one of those things where Oregon. The the funny thing I've seen all day is people kind of hammering Oregon for this Phil Knight buying championships and buying coaches narrative. But the the odd thing is, is Oregon for last. 20 or so years has been nothing if not consistent with the coaches that they've hired. Everything has been in-house. And then just this year was the one where Phil at 79 or so years old finally said, I've had it. I want to win a title now. Yeah, I mean, I, I think I agree with both of you in that 
if Jim Levitt's going to leave, this is the year he's going to have to do it because the defense is not going to be better than it was this year. It's, you know, you'd be hard-pressed to get this program to – what else is there really for him to do at this point at Colorado? I know it's difficult to admit that to yourself and say it out loud, but at the end of the day, he's got to look out for himself and his family as well. Especially being an assistant coach at the college level, there's no guarantees in job security ever. Um, and if you can get a job that pays you 50% more than anybody else in the country is doing for your position, it's really hard to convince yourself that that's not a worthy risk. If theoretically Joe Tumpkin gets promoted and they're somewhere between where they were this season versus where they were two years ago in terms of production, how, how, what percentage of the fan base is going to realize that uh, it was a tough situation to walk into. And, and you know, I, I envision people kind of hammering Tumpkin and not understanding, you know, how much they're losing defensively. Yeah, I would agree with that 100%. I mean, the, the, the number is too, high, uh, too low, I guess, whatever, however you want to place it. Um, people always want to place blame somewhere. We kind of started off the show talking about that. Um, it's, you're not going to place it on the players as much as you are the staff because that's, that's the college landscape. Um, as it's set up today. So Tumpkin, if he gets the job, is going to definitely be in a tough position. Um, I think maybe throughout the year, hopefully we'll be able to kind of convince people, like, look, look at the guys that are now playing in the NFL that no longer play on this roster, and you'll understand why we're not as good as we were the year before. I hope people give them at least two or three years to get it going because um, I think there's some good pieces in the pipeline, especially in this upcoming recruiting class, this 2017 class, that can really help going forward, but uh, yeah, I think Pumpkin's definitely in, in a tough place if that's the road they go. Well, I was just going to close that out with saying, you know, and Pumpkin can deserve a lot of the credit for the development of, of this secondary group in these last couple of years. The only thing I think a lot of CU's fan base is kind of worried about is if you make the in-house hire, you have to consider would you be making this hire if, you know, they were coming from another school? And keeping, you know, that decision on Tumpkin uh, in the same vein as hiring anywhere outside of the program as well. Andrew, for those that don't know, you are a, a proud CU alum, uh, now a newsman up in Wyoming. I guess I'll, I'll let you get out of here. we got another call in the queue here. But just curious, well, what, what do you want to see out of the, this coaching search? Would you like a Tumpkin hire? You know, I think a Tumpkin hire would be good. Um, you know, as as I said, it would just it would come down to the you know Coach McIntyre, the athletic department, the coaching staff, making sure that he is absolutely the most qualified guy for the job. You know, I hope that the search doesn't take too long because you don't want to dip into the into recruiting in the off season that much. But you know, I, it's for me after losing a guy like Coach Levitt, you definitely want to find the right guy for that. Awesome, Andrew. Thanks for calling in. Uh, it was good to good to hear from you. All right, Adam. Take it easy. Take it easy, Jeff. See you guys. All right, let's uh, bring in our next caller. Last four digits of the number, 2544. Welcome into the show. How are you doing? Hey, what's up, fellas? This is LJ Buff from the uh, board. I saw you guys are doing this, so I thought I'd give you guys a call. Yeah, we appreciate it. Would you give us kind of your, your reaction and just kind of the, your thoughts of what we've been talking about here? You know, I mean, I think we're all in kind of agreement on what's going on. But my my initial reaction was I, was I was pretty pissed. I was mad. And I think it's okay for all of us to be mad for a day or two and uh, then kind of look at the more details of it and kind of move on from there. But, 
I think my initial reaction was it was that I, I saw, you know, obviously like the other caller and you got all said that that it was a good time for him to leave and, and while his stock is high. But I guess my only real, um, uh, I guess, kind of angst is that he was going within the conference. And, and that's yeah. tough because, um, you know, I, I know that we're not on the schedule with them for the next couple of years, but, um, you know, a lot of these guys that he's recruiting now, you know, we're going to be matched up against him. And I'm sure by that time, you know, the, the anger will have subsided a lot. So uh, going within conference, it kind of makes, our program looks somewhat weak, especially because a lot of the stuff that you hear will be people that aren't as informed as far as, you know, the uh, numbers and contracts and whatnot like that. So I hope that, um, you know, our administration is able to at least combat that in, you know, in some ways, it seems like that's the kind of stuff that kind of gets run on in the media and whatnot. Um, when you lose a, when you lose a coach within the conference, but uh, it's tough. I, I really do, though, um, have a lot of faith in McIntyre and, and the way that he has made hires in the past. Um, you know, it was basically a year ago that we were freaking out uh, that Walters was leaving, and um, it looks like we really upgraded, really, uh, yeah. in that sense. So, uh, you know, as long as he as McIntyre does a thorough job in, in looking at what he wants, and um, obviously I think it's uh, – uh, he's going to be in a position where people are going to be really wanting to come, you know, whereas in the past that, that might not have been the case. So yeah. I think there'll be tons of viable candidates. And um, obviously our defense was terrible when we got Levitt. And so with, you know, that going forward, hopefully we'll be able to get somebody in here with, with good connections. My biggest um, wish would be somebody that has a Polynesian connection, uh, done a lot of studies, um, looking at the defensive line and what separates um, really the SEC from everyone else is the ability to get defensive linemen that are in the South. The only really way to combat that is with Polynesian connections in the West. We just don't have those kind of athletes in our footprint, if you know what I mean. I'm not trying to get into the specifics there, but um, you know, if we can get uh, somebody with some Polynesian connections, that would be just really big for our entire program, offensive, defensively, or whatever, but um, whether that means hiring a new defensive coach or promoting and, you know, the way that the whole things line up. So that well, would yeah, be my wish list. Yeah, I think you you were the one that submitted that DeMail Bay question to us last week, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, probably. Okay. Yeah, no, I, I actually, and I said it on our last show, I, I like that thought process there. Now, there is a proposal that is likely to, to get approved this spring where, they're going to add a 10th assistance. So you could theoretically promote a Joe Tumpkin or hire a non-Polynesian coach uh, for the defense coordinator role and then you know find somebody with those ties for that 10th assistant uh, job. It sounds like that's going to pass. So there, there might be you know, two additions on, onto the staff and you know, one more addition across the country to all these different staffs. So there, there might be a way to do that without having to necessarily hire uh, you know, a Polynesian defensive coordinator. Yeah, that's, that'd be great. I think that'd be a, a great move for the for the program. But I appreciate awesome, you guys uh, doing this. Yep, thanks thanks for calling in. Appreciate it. Yeah, no Tyler. Could, yep, Tyler. Any thoughts there, based off kind of his uh, suggestion for a Polynesian uh, coach yeah. to join the staff? Uh, I definitely agree, one hundred percent. I think it's the biggest weakness on our staff right now. Obviously, there's not much to complain about based on how we're recruiting, but uh, it, where we are in the footprint of the recruiting landscape. 
obviously a ton of Polynesians in Utah, California, Hawaii that we used to have pretty solid connections with back in the day uh, when the program was at its best, uh, early 2000s, 90s. We had plenty of those kids coming in, and I think we don't really have somebody who can foster that relationship right now on the staff. I agree with you. I don't necessarily think that that has to be the defensive coordinator if they pass this new rule. Um, but I do think it's something that the staff and McIntyre should look into going forward because I do think it would be a vital piece for us and a way to get even more um, traction in the West Coast. Jim Levitt was obviously a colorful individual during his nearly two years in Boulder. As our fan correspondent, Tyler, what are you going to miss most about Jim Levitt not being in Boulder anymore? Oh, just his passion. I mean, he's obviously a wonderful follow on Twitter, a guy who brought Colorado football back to the, back to the glory days, um, had a lot of passion for the program, has players, um, the fan base, and Pepsi, of course, too. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, you know, he's just, a, he's just a fun guy to be around. He makes your day, makes your day a little bit better. Um, and it, it's, you know, you want to have those kind of guys in your staff that make it easy to support and love the program. You heard uh, our caller there talk about how he's just he's he's hurt and he's going to let himself feel that for a couple of days. Um, it's a pretty simple bottom line in terms of why he left. Does that do you still kind of excuse people for being kind of hurt and frustrated that he's leaving despite all the money oh, he's going to sure. be making? I, yes, yeah. I mean, I understand it and I feel it too. I mean, obviously, you want Jim Levitt to stick in this program and you want everything to go perfectly all the time. I understand why people are concerned, especially with all the pieces that we're already losing on defense, is it all going to fall apart right away? I understand people being pissed off that he's going to Oregon and some and another team in the Pac-12. There's already some hatred for Oregon in our fan base, understandably so in my opinion. You know, it's just it's one of those things where there's always going to be some vitriol when you feel like you get something going and then you feel like a, a guy that you've loved for the past two years doesn't want to stick around. But, I mean, at the end of the day, you got to look at the entire picture, and $1.2 million to be a defensive coordinator in the Pac-12 is just stupid money. I mean, you'd be crazy not to take that at the end of the day. Stanford and USC don't announce how much their coaches are making. Do we have any idea where those guys might be in terms of that, that 1.2? Obviously not. They're not up that high, but uh, are they – do, yeah, do we have any I, idea? I, I could, I could find out the USC numbers, I'm sure. Uh, yeah. I would be surprised if anybody's making 1.2. I, I can guarantee you nobody at Stanford is making 1.2. Yeah, I mean, it's it's just uh, an unprecedented figure, especially for this program. Um, Jim Levitt's a boss. If there's anybody that deserves it, he's certainly a guy that would be up there, but it just seems like a lot of money given what everybody else in, in the league is making. He said that he wants to be a Power 5 head coach again. But I almost think that Jim Levitt, and not to say he couldn't be a really successful head coach out there, I'm not saying that, but just watching him the way he worked in his two years in Boulder, as soon as practice ended, he would be gone. He wouldn't hang around. He'd want to be get back up to his office, put on his classical music, open a Pepsi, lower the lights, and, uh-huh. and watch film. Didn't necessarily, I, I don't know, I just didn't get the sense that he wanted to be necessarily that guy dealing with the media all the time. I mean, if you wanted to get an interview with him, it was really tricky and you had to basically forego any other interviews that day. And you might not still get Jim Levitt uh, because he might have something that he needs, he needed to get to. So to be able to make 1.2 million, have a four-year contract and some security being a 60 year old, it almost seems like the perfect situation for him, honestly. Yeah. I mean, he, 
based on my experience with him as well, he definitely seems like your prototypical defensive coordinator, a guy who obviously built the uh, South Florida program up from nothing and was very successful there before he had all of his issues. Uh, but at, at this stage in his career, I, I would be surprised to see him be a head coach, not because he can't do it, but because I think he should be very happy with what where he's gotten himself to. Um, up for the Broyles Award at a University of Colorado, uh, you know, it's a lot of praise um, for a guy in his position. So, and, and he fits that role perfectly. So I think he's definitely happy with where he's ended up so far. There have been some people on my notifications that bring up certain boosters' names and talk about why Colorado compete with an Oregon to keep a Jim Levitt. It's it's kind of it's obviously that they don't have that type of capital. I mean, how many programs in, in the country do? Um, how would you combat you know some of those weird comments that people are making about that? It just doesn't make sense to me. <laughs> uh, it's definitely my specialty to do so. <laughs> um, I, I like to get it in with people on Twitter for sure. I mean, at the, at the end of the day, it's just so easy to spend other people's money. You know, uh, there's everybody on Twitter always knows the right answer to everything all the time. Um, never really stop to think about the entire situation and what they would have to do if they were in it. You know, it's just easy to spew something off that benefits what you're thinking at the current moment. Yeah, I mean, yes, it would have been nice for somebody to step up and pay Jim Levitt $1.2 million, but that's just not the reality that we live in right now. And if they had done that, what happens the next time we have a superstar here and they don't have that money anymore? You know, is, is that fair? Um, it, it's hard to really set that precedent that, oh, we always have a donor to come in and spend this amount of money if we need to. Things don't always work out that way. That's a dangerous place to go. It was uh, during a recent CU practice. Uh, obviously, the media is now allowed in, so we congregate outside the gates. And uh, the question got posed by a reporter, what percent chance does, is there that this whole staff returns? And there was another writer that said zero. And, uh, of course, he's, he's, he's right. I said 15%. I just... I mean, it was pretty obvious that after the season they had, they weren't going to be able to retain everybody. If the worst that happens in terms of turnover on the staff, and, and not, not spinning this, I'm not saying that this, again, this is, a, this is a tough day for the Colorado program, but let's say Jim Levitt is the only piece of attrition on that staff and you find uh, a pretty solid replacement, whether that's promoting Tumpkin or somebody from outside. I mean, that's, that's probably as good as you were going to do, right? Yeah, I mean, you would have obviously liked to keep all your coordinators and maybe a, a Clark or a Tumpkin gets promoted elsewhere to be a DC or something like that. But, yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, when you go 10-3, and three, the expectation should be that somebody is going to want to take your talent um, and use them for their own program. And that's just how college football goes. You see it every single year. Um, Jim Weber was the same guy he was two years ago when he didn't have a whole lot of opportunities besides coming to Colorado. And, you know, obviously coaching a, a poor defense in his first year there. Uh, sometimes players that you put in the program and obviously help develop as well put you in a position to be successful. And then when that happens, you take advantage. I was talking briefly with Chris Fusillet from the Blake Street Tavern, and he, he brought up the point that, you know, this was happening on a regular basis when Bill McCartney was at CU and they were having all kinds of success. Uh, so, I mean, it, it, like to your point, it, it is what happens when you have su su uh, success. I mean, it's pretty much a no-brainer that Joe Tumpkin is the interim defensive coordinator for the bowl game, right? Right. Yeah, oh, yeah. I, I would have to think so. I mean, if not, that obviously signals to you that that's not where they're going to go long term. Uh, but I can't see any possible scenario in which you wouldn't be the defensive coordinator for the bowl game. 
What would you see in that bowl game that would indicate that that Joe Tumpkin is the right guy to to get promoted for that job? In my personal opinion, honestly, there's not much um, bowl games. You know, you've had a month off. You're playing an Oklahoma State game. You you never know how bowl games go. Um, I guess you obviously want to see the guys prepared. Don't want to have them missing assignments when they haven't been doing that all year long. Uh, want to have actual passion for playing for these guys. I, I don't think that's going to be a problem for this unit, though. Uh, they've been, they've gone through adversity their entire careers here. You could see, I mean, the Alpha Lobby Lagu, the tweet that he had today was exactly what you want to see from that secondary. You know, basically just said, I'm a dog, and no coach is going to, is going to you know, change that. And, and I expect to see that out of these guys when they go out and play. Um, I bet they're going to feel a little bit slighted, feel like, you know, a guy that, they thought had faith in them, left them a little bit too early. I understand that, even though I think they know the nature of the business. Uh, we'll see what happens. But I, there's not a whole lot, positive or negative, that I think would change my perception of what Joe Tumpkin could do for this program if they went that direction. You look at what they do bring back on defense, uh, losing as much as they do. I would say the secondary is the one group I, I feel has the most potential there in terms of guys coming back. Yeah, definitely. Uh, especially maybe not ne- necessarily next year, but long term. I mean, Isaiah Oliver obviously is still an underclassman. He's going to be a junior next year, so he's got a few years left to go. Wiggly, the same thing. Um, so there's there's some youth there. Joe Meese, obviously, we talked about before, is just a freshman. So some of these guys are going to be with the program for a long time. I mean, I think the linebackers people are kind of sleeping on the fact that Derek McCartney returns. He's a big part of what we do, both in the run stopping game and he's been proven to be a solid pass rusher as well. Uh, we're going to look different next year for sure, and I don't think we'll be quite as dominant, but I, I still think with how good our offense is expected to be, we're going to be able to um, you know, be good enough to still be a pretty solid program next year. Is it a foregone conclusion in your mind that Steve Montez is this team's starting quarterback next year? Yeah, I would say so. I mean, and to be honest, if somebody is able to pass him up next year and start, You've got a baller on your hands, whoever it may be. Montez, you get him out on the field, he's been successful. Um, now it's his program. He knows that he's going to get all the reps. You've seen it. Even if he gets a few reps in practice, he's really started to click um, pretty comfortably. Uh, I really think Montez has taken the reins. And if not, somebody's going to come in and be really, really impressive to have to overtake him. And that's when you talk about these extra bowl practices. It certainly benefits all the young guys, but. Steven yep. Montez might be the most that benefits from this, and, and he mentioned the fact that it's just an, it's an extra 15 practices to continue to build that chemistry with those receivers. I mean, Seville Lufau has taken, aside from last spring ball, has taken the bulk of you know the meaningful snaps uh, in these practices with these guys, and so there's certainly a continuity that he needs to keep building with those guys. And he mentioned uh, needing to work on his mechanics a little bit. I think at times just being so physically gifted, you can sometimes slide on that yep. a little bit. But he mentioned, hey, my goal is to play in the NFL. He didn't, wasn't even shying away from that. And he said, if I'm going to do that, obviously I've got to clean this stuff up now. Yeah, and I mean, if you watch him on film, it's pretty obvious what he needs to work on. And uh, I think he's a, he's a humble kid, you know. like He's handled this entire thing with Cepho extremely well. He understands what Cepho means to this program. And he understands that he has plenty of time to have his moment here um you know just a freshman you know he's he's got a lot of things to learn and yeah he had some time in spring ball with Cepho out but now he's got that game confidence in him you you never can underestimate how important that is for a kid's psyche he can go into spring ball knowing that he has proven to be a successful Pac-12 quarterback 
he's got four stud wide receivers, if not more, that he can throw the ball to every single day. And, uh, you know, I expect him to take a huge leap forward and be a real baller in the Pac-12 next season. As we've talked quite a bit about, that CU fans have a disdain for the ASU fan base and the team there. Um, but there's still no natural rival that Colorado has been obviously able to develop in the Pac-12 yet. Uh, and it's just kind of unfortunate because this year with the whole Davis-Webb saga, had Cal been on the schedule, that would have set up for at least for one week just to have those feelings of a true rivalry. And the reason I bring that up is because it's kind of unfortunate that Colorado doesn't play Oregon the next couple of years. I think it would create kind of a fun rivalry feeling uh, in that, uh, I guess there is the chance they could meet in, in the Pac-12 title game. But w- wouldn't you, Tyler, like them to match up? But don't you think that would be fun? Yeah, I mean, obviously there, there's a reason, obviously, to have, that people want to want to play them the next few years. I, I do think, though, that just like any other conference, rivalries develop over years and years. I feel like that UCLA one is kind of peaking out and maybe will be something that we see in the next few years. Obviously, they'll always have USC first, but... I think the the entire Pac-12 South has been so tight, can, tightly contested throughout the years, and has been struggling against the North in the Pac-12 championship game. That they all kind of are going to end up not liking each other a whole lot, almost on equal footing to some degree. So uh, I, I think in five to ten years we'll kind of laugh at the fact that we didn't have a natural rival. I, I think one will come out just based on competition. When are you uh, traveling out to San Antonio, Tyler? Tuesday. Uh, Tuesday morning, I'm actually going to drive out there, so that'll be an interesting and probably awful experience, but uh didn't want to spend the $700 to fly out there, so I got a couple of buddies going with me. should be a ton of fun uh, once we get down to San Antonio. I'm really looking forward to it. I've never been there before, and uh, hopefully we finish out the season with a bang. Obviously, that would be big time for the program if we could find a way to get that 11th win. Uh, obviously, we'd finish in, within the top 10, no problem if we get this W, because we're playing number 12 Oklahoma State. So, Awesome. Yeah, I've actually changed my flight. I'm flying out there on Christmas Day, so I get to uh, attend a few more of the festivities out there um, and actually go to the Bulls-Spurs game on Christmas, so that should be fun. But we've, we've had a couple threads on the board about it. You know, a lot of our readers, listeners, trying to kind of meet up out there in San Antonio at some point. We've got to probably maybe organize some type of meetup. I think that would be fun for everybody to, to meet up somewhere out there on the, on the Riverwalk. Okay, yeah, I'm I'm definitely down. I'll get there, you know, probably decently late on Tuesday night, but uh, maybe Wednesday during the day or something. That awesome. would be pretty awesome. Well, we didn't have any production planned. We just went live. Uh, we were joined <laughs> by Jonathan Van Deest. Uh, heard some great stuff from him, got a couple callers, and kind of hashed through uh, some of the reaction to Jim Levitt going to Oregon. Did we forget anything here, Tyler? I don't think so. We'll see. I'm sure we'll have some recruiting news here in the next, few weeks maybe we'll see hopefully we'll cause some people to hit the panic or stop hitting the panic button but uh who knows i think though i know it feels weird to say but i think we're going to be all right all right well tyler thanks for joining me on late notice continue to check out buffstampede.com as we will now track the search for jim levitt's replacement in boulder appreciate all of you for tuning in good night